Welcome to the Long-Term Care Chronicles podcast. Thank you so much, uh, MPP uh, Armstrong, for coming on to the Long-Term Care Chronicles. And uh, we'll start with the first question here that we have in terms of with Bill 13. Um, it looks at the three important parameters to establish the minimum standard of care for each resident. Would you be able to go over each parameter for our listeners? Um, yes, thank you. And I, I just want to say hello to everyone um, out there in um, the virtual world and the Zoom world. Um, thanks for having us and for um, bringing, you know, long-term care um, in a different uh, platform, uh, you know, where people can access uh, some of this information. So I do appreciate you uh, inviting me on the show. Um, so with Bill 13, it requires that um, every uh, long-term care resident has a plan that includes a minimum of four hours of direct care per day. Um, this is just a minimum and an average of care can be prescribed by regulation. So um, this is what uh, the bill does. So specifically the legislation reads that lic uh, the licensee shall ensure that the care set out in the plan of care is based on an assessment of the resident um, and the needs and preferences of that resident um, are taken into account um, that the licensee, and that's the duties licensee to comply with subsection eight. And subsection eight of the, um, of the uh, Long-Term Care Act um, is very clear. And basically it says that, um, and I'm gonna read it here. It says where the act or this regulation requires a licensee of a long-term care home to have, institute or otherwise put in place any plan policy, protocol, procedure, strategy, or system, the licensee is required to ensure that the plan, policy, protocol, procedure, strategy, system is in compliance with and implemented according with all the applicable requirements under the Act. So that basically is saying that when there's a policy, like, for instance, if Time to Care about Bill was to be legislated and passed, that the licensee is required to implement that according to subsection 8. Um, so that's where um, the bill is laying out those parameters and saying, you know, under that subsection eight, that licensees are all required to, uh, you know, re like just go over that and basically implement what has been legislated uh, with regards to a plan, a protocol, a procedure, a strategy, they have to, they have to implement that. And that's why it's so important that we legislate the 4.1 hours, hours of care, because otherwise it's very difficult to uh, hold homes accountable. No, thank you for that. And as well with the, um, the individual determining this uh, level of care, will that come from the case mix index? That was, will this be used for Bill 13 to determine the resident care worked hours? So there, there are four envelopes um, of funding in long-term care and um, only the direct time would be included in our calculations. It would not include hours paid in respect to vacation or statutory holidays or leaves of absence or, um, or sick time or training time or for any other purpose which don't involve direct care. So that's, we wanna make sure that it's, what we're calculating is specifically direct hands-on care. And the bill doesn't change the way the, the level of care funding is determined. 
Um, so which, as you mentioned, it would be based on the case mix index. And the bill sets out, again, a minimum amount of care that the resident should receive. Um, and the data is complex when you're looking at a case mix index because every resident is very unique, right? And over the years, as we know, there's been a lot of uh, people are, are, are uh, living longer, which is a wonderful thing, but then there are more complex needs. And there's also cognitive issues and, you know, Alzheimer's and dementia. So, you know, when the bill goes, bills in committee, I'd love it to be called out of committee and, and get those deputations and to hear um, from experts um, how this data collection would impact in um, the, the case mix index and how we can deliver that, yeah. So then this will be part of, this will be, this will help in terms of the minimum standard of care to determine, is that correct? Absolutely, because yeah. um, the case mix index is all about a plan of care and that determines, you know, the hours of level of care. Um, and so hearing from experts, how we can apply and what we need to do to ensure that those um, pieces are included um, is something that um, we should be doing when we're talking about legislation. We need to hear from the experts. We need to hear from frontline workers because even you know what the experts say, the frontline workers are doing the you know practical work, and um, we need to understand the barriers and how we can solve those to get to that 4.1 hours. RNA No did a study on it, and um, and that's part where again we get this four hours uh, of care, and even in that um, assessment, I, I believe it was they said that. Um, the majority of that four hours that they assessed, the PSWs had the biggest chunk, which is the primary care on the front lines where, you know, you're getting people ready, the basic needs, right? I shouldn't say primary care, so the basic needs of, of the resident. And, the re and those residents are, are uh, pre precious and treasured, you know, grandparents, our grandmother and our grandfather, um, you know, our, obviously our loved ones are extended family and friends, and I just think they deserve so much better over the decades where successive governments have just failed and they've promised. It's been far too long neglected to make these changes and we just can't wait anymore. I couldn't agree more with that. And in regards to what you mentioned before, the four envelopes uh, in terms of where funding comes from for long-term care, will in this case, with the case mix index, is it which envelope, which of the four envelopes is it being drawn from? Yeah, so you've got your, um, the first envelope is your nursing, nursing and personal care. Then you got program and support services and you have other accommodations and raw food. So we're, it, it would be the same envelope. It would, wouldn't change. It would be from the nursing and personal care. So the current estimates say that uh, the province provides funding uh, that offers residents right now, they have an average of 2.7 hours of direct uh, care per day. So we know that that's not enough. We, I mean, it's, you know, we've, we've had uh, studies for a few years now. Um, so what that means is that because there's no minimum standard of care, um, homes are not obligated to hire enough staff to provide quality care. So we what we want is this legislation um, to be uh, enshrined so that there is a minimum requirement and they would have to provide that according to the law. And so that, that, would, that what would happen is that then they would have to have enough staff um, to provide that uh, resident in home uh, care for no less than 4.1 hours of direct care per day. So this is a way to get there, right? To understand, um, you know, what the staffing uh, needs are once we implement 4.1 hours of care, that will, that will organically tell us, you know, 
how how much how much staff we need and and um, and holds homes accountable to do that. Yeah, that that's that's great. And then for with Bill thirteen, and it supports the minimum standard of care for each resident. How, however, if let's say a facility requires more because they have a different mix of population, let's say it's less. Um, seniors and more younger folks that are more um, medically complex. So how will that be supported by the government and what will they be do, what would they be able to do to ensure the monitoring of this new minimum for this, but let's say it's one or two uh, facilities that require more than four hours of care. So as we said um, with regards to the care, so currently the, the policy states that the case mix index only impacts the uh, nursing and personal care envelopes. Um, so what, what we're saying, the bill also creates a regulatory authority to allow for higher prescribed amounts of minimum hours, right? So we know that 4.1 hours is an industry standard uh, that many experts could have, could have said very well, you know, that was a few years ago. So that's why we, we say like it could be outdated right now um, because the acuity of the level of long-term care residents continues to increase year after year. So that's why we're saying it's a prescribed minimum amount of hours. So it can be um, adjusted if it needs to be. And the purpose of the bill, again, is to create, um, I keep saying that, but really it's to create the minimum that right average right now is 2.75. That is not enough, we know. So we need to up those standards and legislate that. And it's clear that um, we just can't rely on promises. As I said, you know, governments, successive governments says, yeah, we're gonna do something, we're gonna look at it, it doesn't happen. Um, so we need to make that guidance uh, in order for it to actually come to fruition. So Bill 13 um, is just really, again, one of the pieces of funda foundational changes that we need to overhaul the system. And, um, you know, we have called for greater transparency, as you know, as the, as the NDP and accountability in long-term care sector. And so every public dollar we believe, again, every public dollar we believe should not be um, in a for-profit healthcare system. It should be, all money should be accounted for. And so if this bill passes and I want it to pass so, so um badly because it's needed, then we can expect that we should be reflected that financial reporting in that long-term care homes and how to provide that, right? Um, so it's very, very important um, that it that there is a, a accountability piece and transparency piece attached to it. Um, and one of the ways we get there is by taking profit out of care. And if, if you know, say we have that scenario continue to happen, then we have that built into the regulatory process where there's that financial reporting. Um, in this uh, in this bill. Oh, that's great that that one, those are one of the safeguards in terms of the reporting so that that has it. And with Bill 13, do you think that this will support people in the profession to prevent them from leaving at this time? So what I have heard over the years, I mean, workers have been very, very uh, strong voices in what's been going wrong in long term care. And as I've heard from especially um, PSWs, right? Because they are the front line. And if you think about a long-term care home, it is a home, but the way the structure, the infrastructure, it doesn't um, feel like a home and the workers can't do the job that they want to do, you know, with the resources that they have. So if we, um, you know, create the four hours of care, I the people that are there now, I think are going to have a, you know, a big sigh of relief that now I can come to work and I can actually not have to, you know, 
prioritize or triage call bells. Or if I'm in the middle of helping, you know, somebody being toileted and there's a, you know, three call bells going, how stressful would that be for you, right? Um, so I think that it would be very helpful and it would also give people recognition and acknowledgement that their work is valued and you're not expected to rush somebody out the door in six minutes. And that was a six minute challenge that Unifor said that it take, that they're supposed allotted to get a resident ready, um, you know, and out the door. So on a worker's side of it, how would you feel if you have to treat somebody like that? On the resident side of it, how would you interpret the way the care is being um, delivered to you? Um, and from a family perspective, because over the years we've heard from families, they were very vocal. And, it, and they were very supportive of workers and saying, you know, it's not the worker's fault. They don't have enough of them. And it's absolutely true. Um, so we need the workforce to be there and we need the four hours of care. And that's just one step um, in order to make sure that these working conditions are um, you know, safe and healthy for everyone to deliver the job and, and for the residents to receive that care. But also um, in the long run, we need to look at long-term care uh, and how important it is. We have the most vulnerable population next to children that we're looking after. And um, here we are just, you know, saying it's good enough. Um, you know, during the pandemic, everybody saw what the Canadian Armed Forces report revealed, but we already knew those things were going on. And so that is where it's so disheartening. Um, and we need to legislate things because we can't just leave it up to people's good intentions to um, say, oh yeah, I'll give that average of four hours of care, sure. And that's what the government's proposing in 2025. No one can wait till then. Seniors, people in long-term care loved ones are suffering now and workers without the right resources to deliver that care. Yeah, this would be very vital for them to, to be able to have this. And as well, like how do you envision a minimum standard of care would apply to each resident in the future? Because right now, would there be daily showers versus the current two showers per week? And oral care and hand hygiene and hearing aid can be included in the minimum um, standard of care as well? How I envision it, it's, um, it's, there's necessities that like you say, we need to hire more staff and we've been hearing from experts, um, hearing about staff being run off their feet and um, that they, you know, that they end their shifts and really they're in tears when they're done. <laughs> I think, it's true stories, you know. Um, so by doing this, this would allow them to actually uh, take the time for the residents. And you have to remember that they have um, developed a relationship with, uh, with people that they care for. Um, very, very close. Um, it's like their extended family, I've heard from many workers. And they were, you know, and the residents rely on those workers as, you know, social contact um, and, Workers have very high special, a high, very, very high level um, people skills, right? Um, and it's not something that um, is, is um, valued in long-term care. It takes a special person to do that. So, but what we've also done um, is to commit to a permanent wage boost uh, for PSWs uh, at $5 an hour. We've been talking about that right from the pandemic, from the get-go. 
And this is just the beginning of uh, fair compensation in long-term care sectors, because we also know that there's a team that takes um, the approach to look after our, our residents. So we, we should be looking at you know, RPNs and other long-term staff to review their wages from dietary to cleaning staff, to nursing staff, to RPNs. You know, they do it all together and um, it needs to work cohesively for it to, um, to, to be a good experience for the residents and families. So, you know, we're going to promote and protect the increased uh, universal wage and benefits and pensions for all personal support workers and, um, and restrict the use of part-time agency staff, because that's something as well that I had heard that, you know, let's say people are, you know, working, PSWs don't just work their eight hour shift, you know, they're working 10 hours or they're working through the lunch. And so sometimes, you know, they're burnt out and uh, they're calling in sick or they can't make it on weekends. And, and so they have agency staff when people aren't there. Um, and uh, the agency staff don't have the same, you know, uh, knowledge about the residents and it becomes harder. So having permanent full-time staff, as well as obviously some some flexibility for part-time people because some people want part-time, right? It's in that it's in that calculation or in that mix. Um, that, but we need that solid force. That's the full-time, uh, you know, basic workers, um, the basic care that provide that very important um, care for our seniors to be conti uh, continuity, right? It has to be uh, continuous is one word, but it has to be continuity where you it's the same thing, you know. Um, and the people know each other. And when there's a change in someone's care plan, that worker has been the one that's looked after them. No, that is very important, very important. And I'm sure that that definitely the, looking at the salary for the staff, for the PSWs, the RPNs, the RNs, that would make a huge difference because again, that would stop probably the multiple facilities that they need to work at as well, right? And leaving the system, right? There's been... Yeah. I mean, uh, this government talks about that there's shortages. Well, there's been a lot of PSWs that leave the system and graduates who come and they, and they decide, oh, uh, this is not for me. I didn't realize what I was getting myself into. Um, yeah, so you've got that as well. So we do need to hear from staff and families and unions and experts of, and care providers around what that looks like. Thank you. And I know right now we're recording this in on February 26th, and this will be launched in March. So there was an announcement made by the minister earlier this week, and I wanted you to just to speak to that uh, announcement in regards to the funding for PSW programs and offering free tuition. What do you think uh, in terms of your thoughts as to how is that really going to help at this point in time? Well, I, you know, I understand where the government is coming from. You know, it, it, education is expensive. So, you know, that's that's a, a good initiative to say that the cost of it um, is, is going to be bared by the government. And so to attract people to the sector. Um, so that's that's a step in the right direction. Um, but it's, it's just not about education. It's, it's, um, it's also like, as we've been talking about the working conditions and, you know, you can, you can pay someone's uh, free education and there's, there's people who have paid for their education, as I mentioned earlier. And once they get there, they say, my gosh, I can't, I can't look after uh, 13 um, seniors or vulnerable population in, in eight hours. It's just not humanly possible. And, and they get to a breaking point and they leave. 
So uh, along with those initiatives that the government is taking, I urge them and to make this a priority and pass Bill 13 and enshrine that 4.1 hours of care in legislation so that homes have to provide it and they're held accountable. And by doing that also, you're respecting the workers that you're saying, come to the field. We're gonna you know, give you free tuition. You know, um, you know, we're going to give you, uh, the, the uh, Premier announced a $3 bump uh, for PSWs. But bottom line, you know, you can, I've heard this saying before, you know, you can, you can get paid really well, but if the stress outweighs the, the wages, you know, it, it doesn't make happy working conditions. And, uh, and people will uh, make that tough choice and say, you know, is the money worth all the anguish? And the fact that I can't get my work done and the fact that, you know, I'm not being able to feel satisfied and, um, and accomplished of what I came here to do, right? No, very, very, very true points because, I mean, if your wages cannot even be able to pay for your education, that too is another major factor on top of everything else, right? So I know that... Um, Last year, I think it was November of 2020, that uh, the Compassionate Care Act, which allows for everybody in the province to have access to palliative care. Now, how would this now be implemented? I know right now they're creating the framework for that, but then how is that going to be decided within long-term care? Because obviously with palliative, the palliative care approach, that's going to take a lot more staffing uh, to be able to truly implement uh, that type of approach and availability in long-term care. You're, you're correct. I mean, palliative care is one of the, the you know, the, the progressions that we're all going to phase uh, or face um, as we age. And um, having palliative care is a good thing and we need to provide that service. Seniors, there's the, the population, as we know, you know, it's getting bigger and bigger and, and it's coming, right? That tsunami, they call it, that wave is coming of seniors. And what I know from talking to uh, seniors today and, and people in uh, knowing that they're going to be seniors in so many years or decades is that they want to stay home longer um, as long as they can. So that's part of uh, one of the things we need to um, pay attention to when we're talking about uh, care and long-term care is making sure that we respect the wishes of people when they wanna be home and be cared for. So palliative care has a role to play um, in home care. Um, there's also great agencies and facilities that provide that palliative care. In London, we have um, a wonderful facility that just recently, a few years ago, provides that care. And then of course, as the other level is long-term care. And I, I I think about that in the context of what we're discussing today, that workers are having trouble just delivering the basic frontline needs of our loved ones. And so when there's a palliative care piece, I mean, how are you gonna ask them to do everything, right? How, you know, how are they prioritizing? Uh, obviously a palliative care is number one because, you know, that's, that's a horrible um, situation where you don't have enough staff. Uh, so when the government's talking about that framework, it, it needs to understand that, you know, palliative care, yes, is important, but we also have to get the foundational care correct and then, and then provide that level of care that's going to be respectful and dignified 
to uh, people who are in that palliative situation. Um, you know, it's it, long-term care has been so neglected over decades. And um, if we're gonna get it right, we do have to have investment. It needs to have investment. And we could have uh, done that over the years. It's been underfunded, less than inflation, right? That's always been a problem. Um, and now we're seeing the, the, the outcomes of that chaos, not allowing long-term care, which is one of the, you know, again, most vulnerable populations and workers who do such great work to be properly funded. And here we are today, here we are today scrambling, you know, for workers. This could have all been prevented, you know, this all could have been prevented. And um, that, I mean, that is to me, I think the most sad part I have, I feel for families that, um, that have gone through COVID with these kinds of conditions. We knew those conditions were there. It was just a matter of time before things got worse. COVID brought that to a quicker head, right? So having a, a Bill 3 pass for palliative care and having that framework, they need to have the training, they need to have the staff who has the time to take that time away from, let's say, you know, if you're dealing with residents, you need to have that, that um, comfort level to say, you know, I have to look after this palliative care patient. I know my I know my residents here are going to be looked after because there's enough staff to do that. Yeah, exactly. Because I, I just don't see how that could be passed and then not for this particular bill as well to kind of um, provide the, you know, the additional uh, framework that they need for it. Um, the other thing is right now it's in committee. So for our listeners, what can they be able to do to help push this bill along? Our bill 13? Yeah. yeah, I do want to say, though, when the government's making a framework for their bill three, they need to have money with that framework, right? Uh, ideas and framework is good, but we do need to put the investment into that. So what our listeners can do um, to help our bill 13 is, you know, to sign our petitions that we have um, to go on your Twitter and tag the minister um, and say, hey, Minister Fulton, uh, push Teresa Armstrong's Bill 13, time to care. Put that in legislation. You might get a response saying, oh, we have an average of uh, care of four hours. It's gonna be you know, phased in 2025. That's not the answer we're looking for. Say so we need to legislate it. We may need to hold homes accountable um, so that they actually deliver that care. Because really, um, again, these are um, promises that don't hold water, right? You, we want actions behind what we promise. And that means if we pass Bill 13, we're gonna have action for it to be legislated and hold homes accountable. So going on Twitter and uh, you know asking for that to be passed, contact your local MPP, um, you know, ask for a meeting and say, and, and say, look, and don't accept the answer that they're going to give you an average of four hours of care. That's not working. We have an average of 2.7.5 right now, it's not working. That's why we need to make sure it's law. Um, so doing that, you know, attending uh, town halls, you know, I really encourage um, people now within this virtual Zoom world to, you know, start their own groups and their own communities um, and get strength in numbers to say, let's push for Bill 13. You know, if that's, if, you know, if hopefully that's the bill you want to see happen to make those changes in long-term care as we're yeah. talking about it now. So that's yeah. another way we can, people can gather now, you know. 
Perfect. No, and they and it doesn't matter what the political party is for their local MPP. It's they can just reach out to either anyone. Absolutely. And I say that because like our MPPs want to hear from people who want to support Bill 13 so that when we have events, we can we can call on you and say, hey, come on out. Let's pressure that government. Let's make that public pressure because that's what they respond to. Right. Um, a lot of the public pressure we've been putting on them in the legislature uh, through legislation, um, they have uh, come in small steps. So it is still very, very effective. So that, which is good to hear. And do you have any final thoughts, uh, MPP Armstrong, just to provide our listeners at this time? Yeah, I just, you know, I really want to encourage everyone out there to look at our um, ONDP uh, platform for seniors care. It has a whole new vision for what seniors care should look like because we spoke to the people that uh, are receiving that care and families um, firsthand who have loved ones in care. And we've also spoken to people working in long-term care and experts. And I'm really proud of that seniors care plan because it, it envisions seniors care differently. It envisions it seniors care long-term care homes to be a home. Smaller homes with staff that can give that care hours of care culturally appropriate uh, care, which we know we have a diverse uh, population um, and, and the way we're gonna invest in home care as well, because as I said earlier, home care is a part of long-term care. And so we're, we're looking at both of those aspects and we're, we're really conscious of making sure the workforce is there and that they are, they're paid properly, they have the resources to provide that care. Because when in the future, we, as we said, seniors in the next 15 to 20 years are going to be one of the highest populations. And if we don't invest now, there's we're going to be paying in ways that are incomprehensible, like we saw with the Canadian Armed Forces report. We don't want those things to be repeated. So I just I just urge everyone to, when there's the election coming up, to please look at those platforms for this specific file. It's so important to look after that generation and all generations, don't get me wrong, but we've been far neglected this file for far too long and we've seen what's been going on and people rightfully are outraged. So let's carry that those passion uh, motions and take action and make sure we hold governments accountable to delivering the right the right platforms and the right plans for our seniors. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. You're Stay welcome. Safe. Stay safe, everyone.